0: Prior to starting off my year in 2020, knowing that there was something missing and and that I can definitely grow and get better. You know, now coming out of the year, just seeing that what I was missing was trusting in the Lord and putting Him first. Putting God first has really shown me that no matter how good I think I am, no matter how good I come across to others, putting God first is, is the way to really grow yourself. I've just found and, and, and saw and, and it was revealed to me that the best way to serve and be more relational to others is to pray for them. You know, my wife and I and, and our three kids have been coming to North Point for about 15 years now and been a part of small groups for about eight years now. And, uh, and for 2020, my wife Melissa challenged me and the kids to uh, come up with uh, goals for the year. For me, the goals that, that I came up with for 2020, you know, were goals along the lines of being able to have leadership development, a daily workout routine, financial planning with my wife. But more importantly, uh, my main goals were um, to spend more time with, with God and, and to have a, a a spiritual time with Him in the mornings, a prayer time. And that was my top priority for 2020. Up until, you know, March hit and uh, COVID pandemic hit and, and my grocery business just you know, skyrocketed and and created challenges that we never saw coming. I remember having conversations with with our small group going over the 40 days of prayer and coming up with a time to be able to pray throughout the day. So we were going back and forth talking about times where where, you know we can break up our day and and be more consistent in prayer. Every day during the 40 days of prayer, my alarm would go off at noon. No matter what challenges I was facing throughout the day, I I, I made it a point to to break away to, to just pray. You know, I was consistently praying 25 to 45 minutes um, in the middle part of my day. And that just really gave me a sense of peace, helped uh, me to be more relational with others. It it helped me to just put others first because I was praying for others like I hadn't prayed before. And the relationships that I started to see and build with my customers and, and my employees, it was just amazing to feel you know, the conversations that we were having and, and being able to share what the power of prayer was doing in my life. You know, share the hope that, and faith that I had uh, with people that I would have never expected to share that with and talk to. I just saw my approach change so much more to erring on the side of love and grace. My employees uh, saw that and how I was interacting with our customers and, and were coming to me in, in ways that they hadn't before confiding in me letting me share that share the things that are happening in my life and and you know how the power of prayer has been been um, impacting me and helping me to grow and and uh, to love others more my kids you know coming and saying you know wow dad you're you're you know we've, we're seeing we're seeing change in you and and you know you're 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 different now and and it's been awesome to just feel instances you know I'm it more and more is being revealed to me every day of, of my sin and, and and my faults and with almost every interaction that I have and and everything that I got going on throughout my day I, I, I'm able to see more and more uh, how the old me would have responded compared to how I respond now and and how it's impacted others so the value of that is is just it takes it away from you it, puts you in a, in a situation where you're more humble and, and you start thinking of others first. And you see you start seeing true growth. I started seeing the true growth in me when um, I changed my routine and, and um, I was more intentional about doing something different. And for me, God uh, really moved me to, to, uh, to make that change. And, and it prompted me to put others first and to show more love and grace than uh, being critical or or judgmental or, or to let fears and doubts consume me throughout my day.
1: Wow. Thanks Carlos for uh, sharing that great story. That is awesome. It is so cool to see how Carlos has allowed himself to be affected and how Jesus has engaged his heart and he's yielded to that and he said Jesus, I want to know what you want to do in in my life. How you want to begin to make the difference. And so for him Although it's been a rocky year for everybody, it's been a year of great growth and great change in his life and in the lives of his family. In fact, I just want to mention to you, Carlos has become this year uh, one of our co-prayer leaders for our Tuesday early morning prayer meeting that happens uh, that we have online uh, through Zoom, but we also have now when there's not a stay-at-home order and it has been lifted now, we're able to bring people in person for early morning prayer as well. And so if you're interested in joining on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., if you just email Pastor Shane at North Point. Uh, we'll make sure that you get an invitation. You can join us via Zoom. But it's a great time to connect with Carlos and others because God God is doing life change. In fact, it is so cool. I was just asking Pastor Kevin Right at the beginning of the year and toward the end of last year, we started encouraging people to get into God's word and get into relationship with Jesus. Now, guys, this is the coolest thing. I just heard from Pastor Kevin, those prayer journals that uh, are about $10 a piece that take you through the scripture a year and give you a place to write down your prayers every day of the week. And I've heard that we've gotten rid of about 370 of those prayer journals. That's not including our Bible reading plans and people that have their own of doing their quiet time, but that's 370 commitments of people joining together and saying, we're going to seek God. And it's not too late. We still have more of those if you'd like to get those. I know that you can, uh, there'll be links in the chat today so that you can click that and get a prayer journal for the year, but it's just awesome to see life change. Now, this is the Sunday that we give thanks to God for everything that he's done. You know, I was reading in my quiet time. I want to read to you this scripture. It's in Titus chapter two, starting at verse 11. Take a look at this with me. It says, for the grace of God, which can save every man has now become known and it does something within us, it says, which is why stories like Carlos's are so cool. It should do something within us. It says, when you're the real deal, it says, I'll keep reading here. It says, it teaches us, to have no more to do with godlessness or the desires of this world, but to live here and now responsible, honorable, and God fearing lives. And while we live this life, we hope and wait for the glorious dunamah of the great God and of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, that is an interesting word, dunamah. Do you know what it means? it's actually a word that's used in like a three-part act structure of a play or a movie. In fact, the actual definition you'll see coming up on the screen, it's that final part of a play or a movie or a narrative that strands all of the plot and it weaves all of the story together. And at the end, at the dunamah, all the matters are finally explained or resolved. And so what God is saying here And what the translators are trying to get across is that there is going to come a day when God pulls all things together. Now, think about even this year and everything that's happened when you think about the dunamah or a three-part act structure. There's an inciting incident and there is the climax or the struggle of your life. In fact, you can see the climax here when everything is hard and challenging. What God's word is saying is that there is going to come a day when God is going to resolve it and explain it. Now, notice it says, for he gave himself for us all that he might rescue us from all our evil ways. And why do we go through everything that we do? Look at this scripture. So that he might make for himself a people of his own, clean and pure, Now notice, living is the real deal with our hearts set upon living a life that is good. That is, God is into changing our lives. And we've been talking about this for the whole month of January. We've been exploring the topic of when you are the real deal, when Jesus has really gripped your heart. What is it that happens? And so let's go on now and look at the text we've been looking at in 1 Peter Chapter two, starting at verse nine. You've heard it before. Let's say it again. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, by the way, let me just say right here at this point, the fact that you've become the people of God, in week one, we talked about what that means. It means that God says, you're my priest. You have a special access to God like nobody else. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have it all together at the very beginning. Your status has changed, but you may still be learning how to be who God says you are. You know, in that way, it's sort of like marriage. When I got married, my status changed. I became a married man, but it didn't mean that I knew exactly how to live married for a while. There's a time that we go through where we're learning to be the people that God has called us to be. The question is, are we yielding to that status and saying, God, do what you want? Now, just for fun, I want to go back to Titus for just a minute because I want you to see this comparison about who God's making us into. Titus chapter 2, again, he says, For God gave himself for us all that he might rescue us and make for himself, there it is again, a people. Now, here's what I want to highlight for you, though, is just, in fact, I want for you to circle the words, rescue us. What does that mean? Rescue us. Maybe in your Bible at home, it's the word redeem or ransom. But the Greek word here is "lutrow," And what it means is to loosen. Or throughout history, this Greek word has been used to like unchain somebody. That's the definition. It's a ransom. It means that you've been bought out of captivity. You have been bought out of some kind of bondage. Now, what this word loutrao is really telling us, if you look at it, It's saying two things about ourselves, and they're both vitally important. First, it's saying you are in bondage. You do need help. You are a slave. But the second thing it says, Jesus says, I have come to pay a terrible and costly price in exchange for your freedom. So now because of what Jesus has done, Peter says, let's go back to our main text. He says, dear friends, then because of that, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, because of what it costs Jesus now, abstain from sinful desires or over desires as we've been studying in recent weeks. Abstain from those desires which war against your soul. Consider what it costs Jesus In fact, in verse 12, it says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Why? Because you're changed. Because your whole life has been changed. And because it's been changed, it says, submit yourself then for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, but for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. What a word for today. Whether that's to a king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Verse 15, notice. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the talk of ignorant, foolish men. Now, watch this. This is key here. Live as free men. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. No, not you, not the real deal. You're to live as servants of God. Now, that's why today we're gonna be talking about being changed by God into free servants. Because again, if you look at the text, he says, you live as free men, yes, but you're free now to live as servants of God. And it was Jesus who said, the way you serve God is by serving people and loving people. So he goes on in verse 17. Again, he says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves even, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Why? Because he's conscious of God. But I'd ask you, How is it to your credit, he says, if you suffer for, how is it to your credit if you suffer or receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Now watch this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Here's the doctrine He didn't deserve what he got. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. For you and me, it says, let's close with this. We were like sheep that have gone astray, each one into our own way. But now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So in our final week, looking at this text and at Second Peter here, I want to talk to you about the nature of change that God works in us. How do we become... The people who he says we are. Because Jesus says, if you've become a Christian, you've got a different attitude. And in fact, Jesus goes so far all throughout the New Testament to say, you've got kind of a weird attitude. Here's what's weird. You don't go into relationships anymore saying, I want to be served or how can you serve me? You go into relationships now saying, I want to serve. Even when you go through tough circumstances, even when you're in, before the dunamah of your life, when you're in that hard area of your life here, the climax, you're saying, I still want to love people. I still want to serve people. How can I give? What? You're a free servant. Now, here's the question for you today. It's the only question we're going to do is how do you become that? And how is it that people could look to you and see something of Jesus Christ? Are you a servant? Are you the real deal? That's the question. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you four characteristics of a real servant in today's culture. I'm gonna have you write these things down. These are the things we're gonna look for. So number one, write this down. First, a servant is affirming. A servant is affirming. Because notice this. We go back to Peter, and what does Peter say? Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. Now, the key word here is respect, because what does that mean? Well, if you go back to the Greek again, let's just do that another, to- another time here for, for just a minute. If you go back to the word, the word is tamao. It's actually where you get the word Timothy. The word Timothy actually means to fear God. It's actually where you get our word timid because what it means is fear or trembling. It's a sense of awe or respect. And what Peter's saying here is that you will live in such a way that you will honor everybody. You will treat everybody with respect and everybody with honor. Now, do you know what I'm saying? If you're around somebody who's a servant, a real servant, you're going to know they're a servant because they're going to treat you with honor. They're going to make you feel honored. But you know what they don't do? They don't like make it all about themselves. They don't try and hijack the conversation and make everything about them. No, they honor you. They're interested in you. They're affirming. A servant notices your contribution. A servant notices your value. And do you know what? They draw it out the value that God has put into you. Now, Jesus was great at this, by the way. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus could look at a group of fishermen and say, you're great at fishing for fish, but if you come and follow me, I could make you fishers of men. I see you're great at what you do, but you could be so much more. And a servant will bring that out. Why? Because you feel affirmed, because you feel built up, In fact, here's a great scripture that Jesus speaks about his own people. He was speaking directly to the people of Israel when he said it. Notice he says, you, my people, are the earth's salt. Now the question is, what does salt do? Well, you know salt's a preservative. Salt keeps things from falling apart, and that's true, and that's really what a Christian should do in society. The Christian helps to preserve things and keep them from falling apart by the way they live. But let me tell you something else about salt. Salt makes the thing that it's on taste good. Salt accentuates or adds value to whatever it it falls on. In fact, I'll just tell you, I don't really like corn on the cob without salt. Salt. But when I've eaten a really good piece of corn on the cob, what is it that I say? I don't turn to my wife and say, honey, that's, that's really great salt. No, the salt doesn't draw attention to itself. No, I say, honey, that was great corn on the cob. Why? Because the job of salt is never to make you think how great salt is. And either are you. But the job of salt is is to say how great the thing is that it's involved with and so i just ask you are you involved with people in such a way that do you make people feel affirmed are you salt Do you make people feel built up and valued? See, it's tamao. It's what Peter says when he says, if you're the real deal, you will treat other people with respect. You will put them first. Think about how you engage with people, whether it's in real life, on the job, in your home, on social media. Is there a sense of reverence that you give them? Now, let me give you the second thing if you're a servant. A servant covers for people. Write that down. A servant covers for people. In other words, servants aren't easily offended. (laughs) Servants aren't quick to blame and they're not quick to accuse. Why? Because a free servant who is committed to God loves people. And what does the scripture say about love? Let's just go to this next scripture here. It says, you'll just notice, love is really, really patient, isn't it? It says love doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable or touchy. And love doesn't hold grudges. And will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Why? Because friends, what Peter's getting at, what Paul gets at in Titus, what Jesus is consistently getting at is that when you're the real deal, when you really are a believer and you're living in a cynical world, people notice that you operate differently. You remember what Peter said. He said, because you are a chosen people, look at that scripture. He says, because you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. He says, it is commendable for you if you bear up even under the pain of unjust suffering. But why are you willing to do that? Think about your life this last year. Why have you been willing to remain a servant even though you might've suffered unjustly? It says here, because your conscience of God. And that's the key phrase, your conscience of God. Now, of course, the best way that I could describe this is, let me just use this illustration. Have you ever seen somebody that uh, they're rocking out on headphones around you, but you have no idea what they're hearing? It's almost awkward when you see a person like this because um, you're watching them, but you're thinking, man, I'm, I, they're acting weird. You're not vibing to what they're vibing to. You're just sort of sitting there. But here's what it is. See, they're in touch with a wavelength that you're not. And of course, they're vibing to something that you're not. And because of that, they're acting kind of awkward to you. Now, God says, this is what happens when you become a believer. You start vibing to God in a new way. The Christian is the way he is. He's even willing to bear under unjust suffering. Why? Let's go to that scripture again. It says, the line is, because he is conscious of God. You're connected to him. And here's the thing. If you're a servant, because you're actually connected to God, you're actually willing to cover people by telling them the truth. Now, why? Because God cares about truth. And you're willing to get Honest with people if they really do need it. Now, you do it in a loving way, you do it in an affirming way. But I I, I just want to say this, and I almost don't know how to say it. It's interesting because I want to say today about many Christians. I'm just gonna say it. Some people are just cowards. Now, they look like servants. They say they're Christians, they look like servants, they're always so nice, they're always helping you, and they're always telling you what you want to hear, but you notice about them, they'll never confront you. Why? Because they're not really servants. And do you understand why they're not really servants? Because you know what Jesus said? Jesus said about his followers, He's about his people, he says, you're not just salt, he said, you're supposed to be light, He says, look at this scripture. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, what does light do? We talked about what salt does. What does light do? Light shows you what you need to see so that you can move properly in the world. Now, a lot of Christians aren't willing to do that today. As I said, a lot of Christians are cowards. A lot of Christians will just let you walk off a cliff. And you know what they say today? This is the common phrase. They say, oh, sweetie, as long as you're happy, as long as you feel good and they'll let you make whatever decision you want even if, even if it contradicts God's truth. In fact, one of the scriptures that Christians use today to rationalize this, it, you know about it. You've probably heard it. It's a little later. It's in Matthew chapter seven where Jesus is speaking and you'll notice this. Let's look at it here on the screen. Jesus was talking to his people again and he says, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye? but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye. How can you say to your friend, let me take that little piece of dust out of your eye? How can you say that? Of course, one of the things that Jesus is dealing here with is he's dealing with hypocrisy. So what does he say? He says, look at yourself. Look at yourself. But then I want for you to notice the order of things. Notice what he says. He says, first, you've got to take the wood out of your own eye. That's the first thing you do. But what interests me is, now people will use the scripture to say, see, I can't judge anybody. I don't want to be a hypocrite. But notice the reason you take the wood out of your own eye is because it says, then you will see clearly enough to take that dust out of your friend's eye. You're supposed to do that. In fact, the reason you take the log out of your eye is so that you can help them take the log out of their eye and see clearly. Now, if you're a servant that covers for people, you'll always do that. A servant covers you no matter what. Now, this leads to the third thing. If you just write this down, a servant is not a martyr. A servant is not a martyr. Now, why? Why do I say that? That is, that is such a critical point. Here's why. There are some people in the church that though they might look like servants, they're very helpful, they're very useful, but you notice something about them. You can never do anything for them. In fact, if you try and do something for them, they won't let you, and you know why? It's because they're not real servants. They're actually martyrs. And guys, I need you to get this. This is not the same thing. Look, let me put it this way. You're a martyr if you're serving people and you feel good about yourself because you feel like you're always doing so much more for others than you let them do for you. And that's actually where you get your sense of self-worth. You feel like, oh, I, let, I do for others. I don't let others do for me. And it's become your fuel. It's become your identity. It's the thing that drives you. But I'm telling you, that's not real humility. It's actually the opposite. There's ego in that. Because a real servant has the humility to be served, but they also serve. Why? Because when you're in the body of Christ and you belong to the church, it's about mutual discipleship. In fact, Jesus says, we're a part of a body and the and the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We need one another. And a real servant understands that there's two parts to that. There's a mutuality to true servanthood, a free servant, discipleship. And then let me give you number four. And I'm gonna spend a little more time on number four. I know I'm moving through these really fast, but let's take a minute on this one. If you'd write this last one down. A servant, a real servant, a free servant, doesn't seek position, doesn't seek position. Now look, if I go back to the scripture and when you see that it says honor, and respect, and don't put people ahead of you. That's really what it means. It's tamao. It's this idea that you don't put anybody ahead of you. You're not always jockeying for position. In fact, this reminded me of one of my heroes by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And you can see his picture here. He's most well-known for being a a prominent pastor during the Holocaust in Germany. In fact, he he was somebody that was involved in trying to stop Hitler. He's written lots of great books and he's written one book in particular on community and he's talking about the secular mindset and he's talking about how the world works with ambition and, and vainglory and conceit. And look what he says. He says, from the first moment when a man meets another person, he is looking for the strategic position he can assume and hold over against that person. In secular society, he says, there are strong persons and there are weak But what Bonhoeffer goes on to say in his book, and I want for you to understand, he says, if you're a free servant, if you know Jesus, you know that there's that propensity in your heart and so you guard yourself from this. Let me just give you an example. Do you remember that place in Mark chapter 10? It's in Mark's gospel chapter 10, where James and John, they come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, grant us to sit one at your right hand. Look at the scripture with me. They say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But notice what Jesus says to them. Watch this. He says, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as rulers, they lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be what? Slave of all. That is a powerful thing. He says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, do you remember what I said just a couple of weeks ago? In the third week of this message, I said, You've always got to go back to your doctrine. You've always got to go back to truth and and your doctrine has to be the basis for how you live. And Jesus is saying here to his disciples, he's saying, don't you understand? He's saying, if you understand what I've done, he's, don't you see, I took the lowest place. Jesus says, I had the position, but I didn't hold on to the position. I had the position, but I emptied myself, he says. I gave up power. I gave up my rights. This last year, we've had so many Christians talking about rights. Jesus says, I gave my rights up. In fact, Jesus says, I gave them up so much that I became obedient, even unto death, a death that I didn't deserve. And so now you look what Jesus is saying to the world. Do you see what he's saying? Listen to me. He's talking about an ethic that the world doesn't know. He says, If you try and get into position by scrambling and by manipulating and by stepping on people, he says, do what Bonhoeffer says. Jesus is saying, don't give into that impulse. Don't try and find strategic advantage for others. Don't don't try and make it about how smart you are and about how cool you are or about how sophisticated you are. Jesus says, don't do it because if you do it, you're gonna be very frustrated in life. You know, I want to share something with you. I'll never forget an article by a woman that I read uh, a number of years ago, actually. I heard about it by Cynthia Heimel. And it was all about seeking position and ambition and dangers. Now, I don't believe that she was a Christ follower. And I have no idea if she was right about the people that she names. But I know she's right about the principle that she shares. And I want to read it to you. I'm not going to put it on the screen. But just listen to this. She wrote this article and she said, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. Because the minute a person, she said at least the people I know, because she was really in touch with celebrities, she says, the minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute that person becomes a monster. Then she names some people, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, and Barbara Streisand. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings with whom you might want to have lunch on a slow Tuesday afternoon. But now... She writes, they have become supreme beings and their wrath is awful. It's not what they had in mind. She then goes on to say, when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he'll grant you your deepest wish and then he giggles when you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. Sly, Bruce, and Barbara, fervently more than any people wanted fame, they worked, they pushed, They stepped on the other guy's face to get what they felt they desperately needed. But the night they became famous, she says, they wanted to shriek with relief, finally. Now they were adored, they were invincible. But the morning after that night, each of them became famous. She said they wanted to take an overdose of barbiturates. Why? She says, because all their fantasies had been realized and yet their reality was still the same. If you read her article, it's fascinating because she says, you know, they were miserable before, but now they're still miserable. And that giant thing that they were striving for, that, that thing that was gonna make everything okay, that thing that was gonna make their lives bearable and give them happiness, they realized nothing's changed because they're still them. And she concludes by saying, the disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. Now, what's my point? The Christian already knows this. And Jesus says, if you're the real deal, Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, then here's how you do it. You need to be the one who serves the most people. You need to be the one who loves people. You need to be the one who gives to people. You need to be the one who's generous. Even if they don't deserve it, even if they mistreat you, you still treat them well. In fact, notice how Jesus puts it. Let's go back to that famous sermon we've referred to several times. Matthew chapter 5. What does Jesus actually say? He says, but I say to you, do not even resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone even wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile. And give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Now, friend, these are the words of the ethics of Jesus who is the Christ and the Lord of your life. And this is how he says to live. And by the way, Jesus is talking here to an oppressed people. He's talking to people who were dominated under a military overthrow by the Roman government. And he's saying, this is still how you treat people. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but that seems so weird. We should resist. No, Jesus says, no, I'm counterculture. You want to change the world? This is how you live. You say, but Pastor Shane, that seems so weird. (laughs) Well, then you'll understand why Peter says, and we've looked at every week of this series. He says, then, watch. As aliens and as strangers in the world, because that's what you got to be. He says, you need to abstain from your epithemia, your over-desires that war against your soul. And you need to live such good lives among the pagans, the cynical, the hostile, that though they might accuse you of doing wrong, they would see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. He even goes on to say, and submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. We already read that. Not only to the good ones, he says, but even to those who are harsh. For it's commendable, he says, if you do that. Now the key here is, why do we do that? He says in verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Wow. So where does that leave us here? As we conclude, how in the world can you do that? How can you live so differently that even in a cynical world, they'll say, I don't get why you're doing what you're doing. How do you do that? I'm gonna give you two things and then we're gonna be done. Write these down. In fact, I'm gonna make these your goal for the year. I want you to think about these things all year for 2021 because this is how you live the life of the real deal, authentic. Write this down. First thing, you have to keep fresh in your heart what Jesus has done for you. That's what Peter's saying here. He says, you've got to look to Jesus. How has he served you? Keep that fresh. Keep that close in your heart. What do I mean? Look, if this thing that Jesus has done, if this just stays in your head, listen to me, if this thing just stays intellectual, it never grabs your heart, it's just kind of remote, it doesn't affect you, it's going to be very hard to be the real deal. No, You've got to keep close into your heart what Jesus did. Look what he says, 1 Peter, verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, isn't that powerful? I want you to think about your life for just a minute. Have you been mistreated? Have you been abused? What does a servant do? A free servant to unlovely people. Let's go back to this point. You've got to keep fresh in your heart what Jesus has done. Now, do you know, this is one of the reasons why today we're going to together receive the Lord's Supper. It's what we call around here communion. And in fact, I sent out a video earlier in the week because we want you to take a moment. Just right after this broadcast, we want you to take, right after we're done streaming the message and we get conclude the service, we want you to get with your family and hopefully you've got the elements at home. We asked you to get them. And just take a moment and receive communion together as a family and together pray and say, Jesus, we remember what you've done. And this year, we want to keep fresh what you've done. I pray you do that. In fact, in the chat or in the stream, they're going to tell you exactly how to do that. There's a place they're going to direct you to on our website that's going to show you how to do that. I'll lead you through the steps. But what you got to ask yourself is, how was Paul able to do all that he did? How was Peter able to do all that he did? And all the way through the Bible, I'll tell you how. It's because they kept fresh in their heart what Jesus had done for them. In fact, I'm kind of excited because, let me tell you about something. In the middle of February, right around the time that Lent begins, um, we're gonna kick off a series here at North Point that I wanna talk to you about. And the series is gonna deal with the cross and the waves of freedom that comes from the cross that when you really do let what Jesus has done grip your heart, your whole life will change. In fact, we're calling the series Remedy because the cross really is a remedy for all of life's most challenging questions, life's most challenging problems. The cross is a remedy. In fact, the cross itself, the way I think of it is the cross, when you really come to grip it and understand it in your heart, it, it has this ripple effect in your life. And if you've ever seen the ripple of water, you you see that what happens is it creates waves of change that go out and out and out. And so we're gonna talk about in this series, beginning at Lent, leading all the way up to Easter and Good Friday, we're gonna talk about how the cross will change so many areas of your life. This, by the way, is gonna be a great series to invite your friends to. I can't encourage you enough to think of one person that you wanna invite somebody to understand the difference Jesus can make. How? How? Because look here, what does it say? It says on the cross that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And it's by his wounds that you get healed. Now, Not only today are we going to encourage you through this stream and our website to receive communion, but it also happens to be a baptism weekend. And you know what baptism is all about? It's all about this picture again. (laughs) If you just look at that ripple effect, it's all about, okay, because I understand what Jesus has done. It's now creating this ripple and it's changing me and it's turning me into a disciple, a priest. Why? Because when people get baptized... When people get baptized, they're saying, Jesus, you've changed my life. You've changed everything. How does it happen? Oh, it's like this. When they go under the water, they're saying, I've died to my old life, and Jesus, you've made me new. I've been resurrected. Again, we're baptizing people after the live service today. So if you're watching this on the stream, get to church. If you're saying, Jesus, I've died to my old life because you've done something and now I'm being made new. I've been resurrected in my heart. I love you, Jesus. That's what baptism is all about. Now, friends, the question is, how does this happen? Let's go back to where we begin. Titus says, it's because the grace of God, which can save every man, has now become known. And it's that grace that teaches us To have no more to do with godlessness and the desires of this world, but to live here and now in this life in a cynical world, responsible, honorable, and God fearing lives. Boy, that's beautiful. You know, true story. I'm just going to tell you this, we'll be done. There was a woman who I know of that was almost dead, she was an older lady. Now, this is this is an old story. It's going back to the 1740s. And her nephew, but it's a true story, her nephew was sitting at her bedside. He was 14 years old. He was sort of religious, but he didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian. His aunt had shared the gospel with him a few times, but now she's dying. In fact, everybody thought that she was gone. She seemed to be in a coma and nobody seemed to be able to wake her up. And he was sitting by her and he was sort of sad and People came by and they did something that you should never do when you think that somebody's in a coma. They talked about her right there in the room. And they were saying, oh, this poor lady. Oh, this lady, she's had such a hard life. This lady, her husband died, you know, years ago. And she's always been poor. She's always been in poverty. She's been dealt such a bad thing. And then, while they thought she was in a coma, they said, How is it that she's been so good to people, so kind to people, and that she's served people when life has given her such a bad deal? They were talking about that. And just then, she opened her eyes and she sat up. And he'll never forget what she said. Her nephew said, Who calls me poor? Who calls me poor? She said, I'm rich. And soon I shall stand before Jesus as bold as a lion. Then she collapsed and she died. Her 14-year-old nephew never forgot those words. In fact, those are the reason that we we know those words today because he became a great preacher years later because he suddenly realized that this woman had something that he had never known. He knew that this woman could stand before God as bold as a lion. Who calls me poor? Poor. Who calls me poor? I'm rich. A free servant can say that no matter what happens. And when somebody would come up to her, even if she didn't have much, even if they weren't nice to her, because she was the real deal, she could say, I could look before a cynical world and know I stand before God as bold as a lion. What are your action steps for 2021? You gotta keep fresh what Jesus has done in your heart. Keep that fresh every day. Get those prayer journals. Spend time with the Lord daily. And then here's what a free servant will do. A free servant will share it with others boldly. Why? Because a free servant can't help it. Jesus has so gripped their heart that they'll just feel like, I gotta tell somebody about it. In fact, I told you about starting right about Lent, we are gonna kick off a series looking at the cross all the way up till Easter. Just before that series, starting next week, we're gonna do a two-part message that we're calling Overflow. And the whole series is really all about these two points again. In fact, uh, our worship pastor, Pastor Kyle, and our mission pastor, or evangelism pastor, Pastor Andrew, they're gonna be taking the two-part message and they're gonna be leading you to really Take to heart those last two points. You've got to keep fresh in your heart what Jesus has done. He's got to be the thing you love and worship. And if that's true, there's going to be an overflow out of your life that you'll want to tell people. Now, again, we want you to stir up the realization of what Jesus has done by receiving the Lord's communion. But before we do that, I want to lead us in a prayer. And I want to call on God for you. And then I just want to share with you some remarkable people that have had their lives changed this year through a short video. You're going to love this. I'm so excited about it. Made me cry when I saw it. But let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your great work in the lives of people. Lord, help us as we've been talking all month long. Help us to be the real deal. If there's anyone watching this that does not know you, has not made you Lord and Savior of their life, would you reveal yourself to them right now? Only you can do that Prompt their heart, quicken their mind that they'd know you in this moment. Make us into who you've called us to be. Change our lives as you've done with so many this last year in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, watch this.